Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Something for the People. I'm your host, B. Smooth, and today my illustrious guest is the legendary <laughs> Rico Suave, <laughs> a.k.a. Rico Suave. I don't know about legendary, maybe infamous, but not not legendary. <laughs> uh, Rico, how are you? Good man, good, 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 good to talk to you, man. It's been it's been it's been a long time, so yeah, appreciate it, be smooth. Yeah. So, is this uh, start? Uh, Rico, where where'd you grow up? Yeah, uh, grew up on the north side of Chicago, which uh, technically now is the. West Ridge area of Chicago, so it's about as far north as you can get without getting into Evanston. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, right down the border of West Ridge. Back when I was growing up, it was called Rogers Park, and then they divided up West Rogers Park or West Ridge. I don't know how they do the neighborhoods now, but basically that's that's where I grew up. I mean, my first neighborhood, though, I don't count, count that as growing up, um, but was Albany Park. That's okay. where I spent like the first couple years that I can remember anyway. Uh, and then we moved uh, when I was in second grade and then stayed in that neighborhood all the way to college, to be honest with you. So, so a long time. So what was life like growing up in West Ridge, Rogers Park, <laughs> wherever where they call it now? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, it's, it's crazy. You know, I was uh, I was talking to a couple, couple of my buddies about this the other day. Um, just a, a variety of different nationalities and ethnicities, man. You know, most of my close friends were Jewish or Greek, uh, had a lot of, uh, Eastern European influences. And for a while I joked, it's like, I was probably like the darkest skinned kid in the neighborhood. And you know me, I'm not a dark skinned Puerto Rican, man. Like, so for me, uh, that was kind of cool. So, uh, so I went to more bar, bar mitzvahs than I did, uh, quinceañeras growing up. So, so you uh, know, kind of crazy. It was the United Nations of your neighborhood, yeah. basically. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much, man. But, you know, I, I loved it, to be honest with you, man. I, I got a chance to, you know, learn different cultures. And, uh, you know, it was just great, you know. And, and the one thing about it is the families accepted me regardless, you know. It didn't matter that I was Puerto Rican, you know. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it just it was just great growing up, to be honest with you. I, lo- I love my childhood and neighborhood I grew up in. I wouldn't change it for anything. And some of those same friends I still have to this day, which is oh, you know, almost unheard of. You know, like it's it's it's, it's crazy when we talk about man, man, we've been friends since you know elementary school. You know, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. All right. So, so what was your what was your family life like? Did you have like siblings growing up? Yeah. So I had uh, one older brother. It was just the four of us. Uh, okay. You know, both my parents worked. You know, typical nine to five. Um, yeah, I loved it. You know, I had everything that I wanted. Yeah, I was a I'm a I'm a big Star Wars fan, so I whenever Christmas came around, I always got the good Star Wars stuff and then, you know, uh but no, it was great growing up. Love my brother. He's seven years older than me, you know, which is kind of kind of a you know, a big length a big difference, but uh it was great. Uh, that's he, that's uh, the exact same link between me and my little sister. Seven oh, years really? apart. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the crazy thing yeah. is she's born her birthday is two days before my birthday. So oh, wow. I can I can never forget her birthday because I know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. Like, so you understand the seven year difference? I mean, it's yeah. kind of just uh, I I think it's a little bit too far, but I mean, again, it yeah. worked out well for us. You know? Yeah, and I think like when we got older, that's when we got actually closer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Then, like, Especially we we experienced kind of the same things. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was definitely, yeah, I would say probably about when I got to college, that's when our relationship got 
even tighter. A lot of it was because he wasn't living in Chicago at that time. Uh, but I mean, now we're like, you know, we talk all the, on the phone all the time, you know, so it's great. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back a little bit. Like, cause I never got into star Wars until like much later. Yeah. So like I came around, like people say how oh, you missed it, man. Cause I came around Phantom Menace. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. That's, that's kind of tough. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how'd you get into star Wars? You know, that's, you know what, uh, don't even know. I mean, I was so young at that time, but it just appealed to me. You know, a lot of it when you talk about, you know, space and spaceships. And um, I really I really enjoy the Han Solo character, you know, Harrison Ford. You know, he's just kind of a smart aleck, you know, uh, kind of dude who just, you know, and he ends up with the princess, right? So to me, it's like, it was funny growing up as kids. Uh, everyone wanted to be Luke, you know, everyone wanted to be a Jedi, everyone wanted to be Darth Vader. So I want to be Han Solo because Han Solo gets the girl, you know. So it's like that's that's the way that's how my mindset that's, that, that was my mindset. But uh, it's just very appealing, you know, for a kid, you know, eight, ten years old. I mean, it's like it has everything that you could possibly want, you know. Um, I remember just watching it a lot, like just really being interested, and uh, it just really hit home for me, you know. Uh, it's one of those movies and genres that, uh, or I should say, you know, the the whole saga is just, you know, on point. I, I didn't really didn't really like the the prequels, the you know, episodes one through three a whole lot. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, just really loved it, you know. And then you know, it's one of those things where that was probably like the first franchise, if I'm not mistaken, where they created like action figures, mm-hmm. you know, at, when the movie came out. So it's it's kind of like you know. It, it all happened at the same time, movie and then all that. So it just had a way of appealing to you know, to young kids. Yeah, I think that's how I got into Batman because, like, I remember like the first the, like Tim Burton Batman with like Jack Nicholson as the yeah. Joker. Those were like the first action figures I got. So I'm like, yeah. I'm like I like Batman now because <laughs> it got toys. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Michael Keaton's one of the under the radar, you know, good Batman in my opinion. You know, he uh, you know he played he played it very well. So yeah. Right, so. Growing up, what was it like? Like school, like you know, like branch schoolyard. Like, were you the, were you the bully? Yeah. No, no. Actually, you know, I, what worked in my favor. What worked in my favor with, was two things. Number one, actually three things. Number one was uh, I was a good athlete, uh, mm-hmm. so I could play different sports. So baseball, football. I mean, basketball was okay, but it was pretty decent. I was very fast, so whenever that was the second thing. So. Whenever it came down to sport, I was never like the last pick. I was either like the first couple of picks taken, you know, when we, whenever we played. And the third thing, I had an older brother. And so that helped out too because, you know, when we would go to the park or whatever, you know, they would see me and my brother and then all everyone would want to jump in as well because I didn't have a lot of friends who had older brothers. They had older sisters, mm-hmm. uh, but not older brothers. So, so my brother was pretty, pretty popular in the neighborhood. Um, you know, he was always outside, you know, but it was, it was great. You know, like I said, you know, where, where I grew up, where I went to school, everyone was very receptive. You know, I remember just kind of going outside playing catch with my brother and that turned into a game called running bases. I don't know if you're familiar with that, where it's like you had two guys catching the ball and they would just run and the object was to not get tagged. If you didn't get tagged, then, you know, you would keep going. So, and because of the neighborhood I grew up in, there were a lot of boys in the neighborhood. So it was like right in front of our apartment or maybe like a few apartments down People would just come out, hang out, you know, hang out in the stoop. You know, it's like that's, you know, kind of a thing that doesn't happen anymore. You know, it's like, I mean, obviously it's not safe to, to really do that anymore. But back in my day, it was like, you know, we were always kind of just hanging out, just talking or playing games or whatever. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so you guys were in uh, like these kids playing PlayStation, Xbox, like three hundred hours. You know what? I'll be honest with you, man. Even even on those cold days, we would still be outside throwing snowballs or whatever, or we'd be inside the gym. Like you know, there was a there was a park not too far from where I lived, and we would go there play dodgeball, basketball, whatever. So very rare. I mean, you know, I'm so old school. I didn't have a. T- I had ColecoVision. I don't know if you know what ColecoVision is, but ColecoVision is like. You know, really old school with these like controllers are about as big as like a remote control. So you have to Google it later and <laughs> you'll, you'll laugh because it's like the only reason why I like the only reason why I like ColecoVision though was because it had Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong was my game, and so it was oh. a you know a Nintendo game, and so ColecoVision was exclusively for that. So that was that was it. And so, but I hardly ever played that. You know, I mean, I was always outside. You know, enjoying the weather, goofing around with all the guys or whoever. Yeah. All right. So, 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 let me get game. So, this is like mid eighties, late eighties, early nineties. Mid eighties, growing up. Or you're asking me exclusively. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So let's start. Let's fast forward a bit. Let's talk about like high school because I know you worked with like a lot of high school students. So, what was your high school experience like? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I was. I went from, I don't know how, how it was for you, but eighth grade, I was like, you know, student council president, you know, um, president of Latino club, uh, captain of the basketball team, captain of the softball team. So I was like kind of riding the high, like, oh yeah, you know, I'm you know one of the more popular kids in school. And then freshman year happened and then it's like, whoa, you're way at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, and, you know, obviously it's my first experience kind of, you know, other schools kind of, you know, going into one. And so for me, I was a very shy kid. Uh, academically, I was just getting by, you know, not really, you know, putting forth a whole lot of effort. Tried out for the football team, you know, freshman year, you know, JV, made the team. Uh, but my grades were suffering, so I had to quit the team. because There was just no way I was going to be eligible to play. Um but that, I mean, like I said, if it wasn't for sports, sports kind of really helped me out. And that's kind of where I hung out with. I hung out with the jocks. I hung out with the football guys, you know, the baseball guys, and the basketball guys as well because I like R&B and rap music. And most of the Latinos that I went to high school with, they weren't really vibing off that. And so, um, you know, when they were talking about a lot of those early rappers, you know, I was like, yeah, I know who those, those guys are. I can, you know, I, I know what songs you're talking about, things like that. So, that was kind of like the, the clique that I hung out with pretty much, um, you know, hanging out in the lunchroom, things like that. I used to pitch quarters outside, you know, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of that stuff, you know, um, that these kids are probably like, you know, what the heck are you talking about? But it was just, you know, it was, it was great. You know, like, like I said, I, I really enjoy where I grew up and, and the high school that I went to. Um, but I wasn't that good with the books. I struggled freshman year, actually failed two classes, had to go to summer school, which, oh, man, that was brutal, especially at a high school that had no air conditioning. Um, so I used that. You know, I used that, you know, in, in my career later on, you know, when people, kids were like, man, I can't do it. I can't do this. I can't make it work. I said, yo, you're talking to a kid who. It wasn't that I wasn't smart. I just wasn't motivated. You know, I wasn't motivated to do the schoolwork and. I got frustrated, especially when it came down to anything having to do with math and science. Mm-hmm. I joke and said, you know, I was good with math until they threw in letters in there, and then that was it for me. <laughs> I, couldn't, like, I couldn't handle it. This isn't numbers anymore. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> solve for X? Like, what do you mean solve for X? I can't even, what, what are you talking about? It's like a different language. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, but I mean, I wasn't like, I, and, and and sports really saved me, to be honest with you, because in order to maintain, I had to maintain, you know, a certain GPA in order to, to play. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sophomore through sophomore through senior year, that that's that's what kept me going. If it wasn't, you know, for sports, I don't know if I would have, you know, made it through high school, to be honest with you, because I really didn't have a motiva- any other motivation uh, for school other than sports. Okay, so uh, you mentioned that you liked, uh, like, hip-hop and R&B. So, like, who was, like, people growing up who was like, like they, these are my people who <laughs> so well i mean it, it all i mean it all starts out you know we'll run dmc only because they were they were the ones who kind of you know got made a commercial but then after hearing run dmc did some research about some other artists and so that's when i found out about you know slick rick dougie fresh uh eric b because to me slick rick is the greatest storyteller in rap music history that's just my opinion but you know uh eric b and rakim rakim is always going to be my my guy when it comes to lyricists i can you know have a bunch of his tapes uh cassette (laughs) tapes so that's that's how old school i am you know have have cassette tapes of of him uh and ll cool j was another one of those guys who uh and you know he's still doing it today you know about you know in many different arenas but uh, those were kind of my guys and then you know, in college, that sort of changed. Uh, but in terms of like, you know, when we're talking about high school, uh, you could always, you know, hear me, you know, or have in the background Eric B and Rakim, LL Cool J, uh, Run DMC, you know, Beastie Boys in there, you know, some of those artists back then, Cool Mo D, uh, Big Daddy Kane. Uh, so a lot of the ones that, you know, people know about, uh, or, you know, but they should really do some research because a lot of the, a lot of those guys are just, you know, pioneers. Yeah, so, who's your top five? Top five rappers? Oh God, that's 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 tough, man. That's tough because I'm, I'm kind of biased. I'm kind of biased about who who I like. Um, but if I'm if you're talking like my five favorites, because I can't even say top five, it's it's yeah. just hard. It's yeah. just hard. Five but, favorite. But I mean, five favorite. Then we're talking Eric B and Rakim. We're talking. Uh, Tribe Called Quest. Oh man, I can spend an hour talking about Tribe Called Quest. Um, so I said, Airbnb Rakim, Tribe Called Quest, LL Cool J. Um, gosh, I don't know. It's 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 really tough. Slick Rick, only because to me, like I said, Slick Rick was uh, you know a lot of the songs that I like the way he's storytelling. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Is that four or five? Run DMC. I mean, I, I, I would put Run DMC in there because, you know, they were the ones who kind of took it to another level. Um, and you know, Jam Master J was, you know, really, you know, ahead of his ahead of his time in terms of DJing. But yeah, those would be my five. Yeah, I, I get. I have LL in my top five because I have I have LL, I have Nas, I have Common, yeah. and yeah. Wild, Wild Card. I have uh, I have Heavy D. Ooh, good one, good heavy, one. Heavy D's yeah. my man. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know what? It, it's funny, man. Like I, you know, since since this whole pandemic started, I've been like, you know, playing different music. I've been going alphabetically, and then like the last hour of work that kind of gets me gets me going. And I remember like just the other day putting Heavy D on, and a lot of those songs, man, like. Just get your feet moving, man. Like he he had a style all his own, man. But the production too, you know. Yeah. Teddy Riley produced a lot of his his hits, and they were just phenomenal, man. Yeah. Um, just phenomenal track. Like tracks you would hear at the club. See, that's the other thing. Like you know, Heavy D was one of those guys that you know back in the day you would hear his songs in the club. Yeah, and 
And the thing that I like about Heavy D is that I didn't, like, growing up, I didn't know that, like, he didn't curse. Because he just rapped so well. I didn't, I just didn't notice that, oh, he didn't curse on this whole album. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yep. Yep. And he had some, you know, he had some really good tracks, man. Stuff that, you know, you, you, you could play it right now and they'd be like, you know, they, they'd be hitting. I mean, it's, it's good stuff, man. Yeah. So you also mentioned R&B, so like, who are your like, favorite R&B like artists that you were listening to then or now? <laughs> oh man, so this is like New Jack Queen era. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, come on, man. Like, well, I mean, to, to me, it's funny. You know, I don't know if you've been, uh, if you, I mean, they're doing all these Instagram battles, and one of my yeah. favorites was Ted, Teddy Riley versus Babyface when they actually figured it out. Yeah. When they actually figured out how technology. Because to me, those two guys were kind of like the yin and yang. You know, we're talking Teddy Riley had a lot of the up-tempo, new jack kind of stuff. And then Babyface had all kind of like the smooth R&B. Um, but, man, artists of the 90s. Well, I mean, Guilty Pleasure, I'm a huge New Edition fan. I've seen them in concert more often than I you know, care to even <laughs> even share. Uh, you know, but... Uh, Your favorite iteration of New Edition, Bobby Brown or John Gill? Ooh, that's tough. That is a tough one, man. Um, gosh, well, I mean, I have to say their self-titled, you know, album, their second one is probably my all-time favorite. So that that's got Bobby Brown on it because of Mr. Telephone Man, Cool It Now, um, you know, that and that came out at the time. Like I said, you know, I was in in junior high when I when that album came out. Yeah, man. Um, but I mean, hey, I, I I was I was very skeptical when Johnny Gill joined the group because I, I had known I heard his voice. I'm like, man, how are they going to make this work? You know, um, it was funny watching that new edition story. I didn't realize that they brought him in to take the place of Ralph. Like they were kind of putting pressure on Ralph, and then it's like you know they made it work. And I'm like, but yeah, but I mean that concert that was one of my favorite concerts though when uh, when Heartbreak uh, came out because. I'll be sure it was out. It was Bobby Brown opened up. I'll be sure, and then New Edition and Oh, that's, all that's one, classic! All in one, <laughs> all in one. And let me tell you, that was one of my favorite. I mean, I look back at you know because I used to be in radio. I look back at all the concerts I've been to, and that's one of my favorites um, because at that time, all three of those artists were like hitting. You know, I'll be sure had just come out, but Bobby Brown had just released his second album, and he. He tore up. I mean, it was just like, man. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. But though, yeah, nineties, nineties R and B, nineties, you know, rap to me. Uh, I, I'm just a nineties guy when it comes to that. I don't yeah. think there's there's a decade that can really touch that, in my opinion. I mean, obviously, I'm old school, but I mean, there were just so many great artists that came out at that time. Yeah, I think that's how I'm way because that's like that was like most nineties were like my childhood basically. So. And I was just like, that's what I grew up on. And that's, yeah. what, that's what my mom, that's what my dad played. And I, <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I, was, I, was, I was interning and working at WGCI at that time. Ooh, back when it was... Back when it was sitting, like, honestly, yeah. because, you know, my undergrad degree, I, I went to Columbia College, and I got an internship at WGCI. They asked us to list, like, our top stations and i thought there's no way in heck they're gonna have a puerto rican guy you know go to go to gci so i put first you know first choice gci second b96 and the third was like b103 or whatever just so i can get into urban radio because that's really what i wanted to do and then when i got my first choice it blew me away because i was mid 90s and that was like man i mean there were so many artists that came through those doors because at that time gci was like one of the top stations in the country um 
I mean, insane. I mean, it was like the perfect era to, 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 to work in radio for me because it was just like walking into GCI, you hear all these artists, it's like, man, it's like, I get, you know, I get paid to do this. Like, man, this is crazy, you know? Yeah, uh, like, yeah here's Bobby Brown. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, one little story. Like, my mother used to work at Children's Memorial Hospital. So, uh, like, she would get, like, hospital gowns and, like, bring them to me. So when I was, like, I think I was, like, three or four, she brought me a hospital gown. And I had this little toy guitar and some, like, big sunglasses. And I would just sing Bobby Brown, I Want to Rock With You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And yeah, that was when music was. I don't know. I, I want to. I don't, I don't, I'm not dissing the new artists because you know it's a lot of new artists I do like. Mm-hmm. But it was like back then. It just seemed like to get on, you really had yeah. to like put in. You had to put in work. Now it seems like you know you just have to look a certain way. Yeah, it's 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 different. You know, it's hard, it was you know it's hard to get it was hard to get a record contract back in those days. And then if you were an R and B group, they compared you to New Edition. You know, so a lot of those artists, you know, like you know Shy Silk, uh, you know, when they would come out, it was just like you know what what can they bring to the table? You know, uh, and that when Boys and Men came out, you know, with the little four part harmony that kind of changed the game, and then everyone try try to copy that, and it was just a lot, you know. Um, but a lot of those artists had a lot of like one hit wonders, you know, or like one album that was decent and then they faded away, you know, like high five, and high five. Yeah. yeah. You know, so for real. Yeah. I mean, we can go on and on, man. Like, you know, there's just, there's just so many of those, those groups that come and go, you know, troop troop is one of those groups that I loved. Um, and, but you know, it's just hard. It was just hard at that time. All right. So this is a segue. So we like you, you know, you you get through high school because you know you you want to stay on the sports team, but now yeah. you, now it's time to go to college. So yeah, what made you want to go to Columbia? Yeah, you know, I was sitting in study hall. I remember this so well. It was uh, it was my junior year of high school. We had study hall in the in the uh, in the auditorium, and I used to you know have my headphones on, listen to music. And at that time, I was listening to you know guys like Tom Joyner and Doug Banks on GCI, and I thought, man, I would that that'd be kind of cool to work in radio. You know, but didn't have any idea, didn't have any clue what that would include. Uh, and so me being kind of a slacker that I am, you know, I didn't really apply to too many colleges until senior year. And so the only two schools that I really applied to was UIC and Columbia College. And we couldn't afford we couldn't afford UIC so much. So I applied I applied late to a scholarship for UIC. And so I was down to one and it was Columbia College. And what worked well for Columbia College for me was uh, it started later. It didn't start in early September. It started like mid-September. And so here I was, you know, in August trying to get all my stuff together, paperwork and all that. Oh, man, um, you were late, late. <laughs> I, was, I was late, late. Uh, but you know what, though? It, it was, but again, you know, whether it's God looking over me or just good fortune, it just worked out so well, though. You know, I got to Columbia College, loved the radio program, had my own show, uh, co-hosted the show. I ended up, you know, co-hosting the longest-running, you know, live mix show in Chicago. All that stuff. So it just, it just worked in my favor. Made connections. I got, got on GCI. Like, come on, man. Like, you know, things just kind of work out. So, uh, but I loved it, you know, because to me it was just like I thought it'd be the perfect job being able to talk to people uh, and playing music, you know. So, so like. I'm gonna ask DJ. How does it work when you do a live mix? Like, 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 what, what, what all goes into that? 
Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, well, first off, you know, the equipment's got to be on point, speakers got to be on point, everything. Um, but to do a live mix, I mean, back in those days, you know, you didn't have, you know, all the computer gadgets, so you got to be on point. So a lot of it is, and I didn't really do a whole lot in, when I say hosted, I hosted, I didn't really DJ on it, but I'm just giving you the perspective of the actual DJ. But if you can imagine a, a room, like maybe the size of like, you know, someone's living room, speakers are up on the ceiling, so the music's kind of bouncing so you got to be really you have to be really good at your craft in order to kind of do a live mix because if you mess up the whole everyone's going to hear you you know the record skips record pops like the needles used to pop you know if there's a lot of static on there so there are a lot of things that go into it that if you if you're not talented if you're not if you haven't been practicing it it, it shows up and you can't you can't fake that you know you can't fake it when it's live uh so a lot of, we had a lot of djs that would always want to come in and say, well, you know, I got this mix on cassette. Nah, man, we do it live, you know? And so we would set up turntables in the studio. We would have the mixer there, everything. And, but some guys just didn't like to do that live. Um, and that's fine. It doesn't mean that they weren't good, you know, weren't good DJs, but just thinking about it because, you know, you got to have, you know, you got headphones and you got listening to the song being played, but then you're also using the speaker to kind of hear the song that's being played as well. And it's just a matter of blending in the beat. And it's, it's hard in a big room. You know, unless you got the speaker right there, you know, most DJs have a monitor literally like right by them. Uh, you can't do that really uh, in, in, a, in a radio station unless it's equipped for that. So we got kind of we were in a small area, but it was still made it difficult. So we had to you know do some adjusting where sometimes we would have the records, the, the record players in the studio. Sometimes we were in the next room just so they can have a speaker to use as a monitor. Um, so that's it's tough. It's tough. Um, but I love it again. I mean, I got to meet so many DJs, got to go to music conferences in Miami, got to meet a whole lot of people and make a whole lot of connections. Um, yeah. So you mentioned like you, you were kind of like when you were in high school, you were kind of shy. So what made you like to be a radio host? You got to have a lot yeah. of personality. So what, you know, what, what, yeah, made you know, that, what made you turn that on? This, yeah, you know, it, 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 it was really weird, you know, I, I, because. I, Originally, I wanted to go to sports broadcasting. That was going to be my initial goal. So sophomore year, I took a sports cat, a couple of sports casting classes, and it was just jam-packed. There were like 30 people in there, and I'm like, what's going to make me stand out amongst all these people, especially when I'm not well-versed in soccer and hockey, and especially hockey in Chicago, you got to know how to pronounce these names, and there are a lot of names in hockey, yo, I just... A different different language, so it's just not you know, going to work. I don't, I don't speak Russian, so. <laughs> <laughs> so what ended up happening was, you know, taking these radio. Really try to go on air, and I'm not because after sports cast, I thought maybe I'd be behind the scenes and do more producing and do more editing and things like that. Um, you know, kind of using some of those skills, but. All of a sudden, I was doing drops, you know, using my voice to, you know, introduce certain things, and people were like, "Yo, man, Rico, you got a, you got a good voice, man. You should really try it." Um, and so it was just my professor, you know, uh, one of my professors who passed away, you know, last year, um, that who, who noticed, you know, some talent in me, um, and you know, because we used to do, we used to do kind of like mock radio shows in our radio broadcasting classes, so we would get on and. You know, we, we could play whatever music we wanted. You would introduce yourself and then just kind of go with it. And so that's when, you know, 
I kind of got really comfortable talking on a mic because I'm, I'm just feeling like I'm talking to a mic. It's like I'm talking to you right now. Like I'm, I'm honing in on to just talking to the mic like I'm talking to one person and not thinking about anybody else who's listening. And it just became really comfortable for me. Uh, I can't explain it. I mean, it was just one of those things where yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because a lot of people said, man, you were really shy in high school. How'd you end up in radio? It's just like, it's, it's different. Like it's, it's hard to explain, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things when you, when you feel comfortable, you kind of just go with it. Okay. So like you're going through the music conferences, you're going through, you know, you're DJing, you're hosting. So at the Columbia, like what was next for Rico? Yeah. So I uh, ended up working at a ethnic radio station doing AP News. It was a Polish-owned station. Uh, the station was located on the northwest side of the city uh, off of Belmont, like right above a dance studio. I'll never forget, it was family-owned. And that's how I got my feet wet uh, because after GCI, uh, after the internship, it kept me on very, very part-time, but it just wasn't paying the bills, so I had to find something. So I worked in that. Um, but because I worked you know, with GCI and made those connections, it was a clear channel you know, station a lot of other clear channel stations were asking, hey, man, do you mind coming in and being a board op? And what a board op is, it's the guy behind the scene, you know, pressing the buttons, playing music, not really talking. Um, and they had me as an overnight guy, which was cool, which was cool because I would be working like, you know, 10 to 2, 2 to 6, you know, uh, at night. Uh, and a lot of these stations, you know, were downtown Chicago and, you know, being, I could park my car wherever and not have to worry about it being towed or anything. So bounced around a lot, to be honest with you. Um, you know, started off, like I said, the, the ethnic station and then got on when, um, when, I don't know if you remember, uh, when Man Cow was on the radio, uh, rock, rock, yeah, when Rock switched, when his station switched, um, the Clear Channel bought that out and then became a Jam and Oldies station, if you can remember that. Yeah. It was Jam and Oldies 103.5, the beat, and so they needed a bunch of people to work overnight, so I was doing that for a while, and then... That's when the 80s channel came out, 103.1, and they needed some people to do board op and all that. So I was basically just labeled a board op. I wasn't a radio talent, but I was, you know, I was good at what I did. You know, I could come in, you know, uh, work for, you know, four hours, six hours, depending on what it was. I was getting paid decent money, but then I was also, I also owned a mobile DJ company. So I was doing that on the side too. So I was making, I mean, I was doing really well and I was working at that time as well, uh, youth director at a church so i was the youth director at a church by day and then radio dj you know host or you know forward up at night so i was doing a little bit of both you know uh making ends meet so i was working like six days a week but i was you know making decent money uh and i was still doing what i loved you know so yeah bounced around and then i ended up the last station i ended up working for was kiss fm that was the last station that i worked for and that stopped in 2001 yeah 2001 so right about you know when uh you know uh, when 9 11 happened it was it happened like right like right before that i stopped working at uh at kiss fm mm -hmm. so before we progress what do you think about what's happening to the radio industry now because it's just it's well, really yeah. really well, bad <laughs> well see and, and here's here's the thing you know at, at the tail end of me working at kiss fm the reason why i left was they were just hiring these jocks to do voiceover stuff so they would have a jock in la say oh here's the latest from you know bruno mars right here on you know kiss fm and then i would play the voice track and it's like yo man so we're 
they're outsourcing they're, they're they're all under one umbrella you know which is one company and they're just bouncing these radio personalities via tape so it's like i would have a reel to reel playing these drops over these songs and it's just like it's not the same but a lot of people don't know it a lot of people would call in the radio station and be like oh you know i want to talk to this one. I said, well and i would have to lie when i pick up the phone like, oh he, he's not here right now he's in the restroom but you know you know can i get a play a song for you you know like they they didn't know that these jocks were not on air so it got very saturated it kind of you know got really stale um and now you know with with xm radio uh with podcasts and things like that i mean radio is you know, it's, it, it, in my opinion, it was starting to, to decline back then because a lot of people were just kind of like, you know, not really listening to radio anymore. Anyway, that's why, like, when Napster started like to take off and like downloading music, and so you don't, re- you didn't really need radio anymore. You could just download whatever you want and make it a CD. Or now, you know, it's just a matter of you know Bluetooth and whatever. So it, it just, you know, radio is kind of one of those things where unless it's talk radio, you know, or sports radio. Um, you know, why would you even listen to radio anymore? It's, it's, it's really hard. You know, you don't really see those those same personalities anymore. A lot of those people are now doing, you know, XM radio and doing some other stuff. You know? Yeah, because I, I just think, like, just growing up, like, I, stuff I used to be annoyed by, like, when it would be, DJ would, like, or host would talk over the song at the end or they make jokes during, after the song, and I'm like, yeah. oh, let's play the song. I'm trying to tape it. Yeah. <laughs> but now, yeah. now I miss that. I miss that, that personality. I miss that yeah. connection. That's what I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, like, those, like, I literally remember, like, being in high school, listening to Doug Banks and Tom Joyner being like, these guys are just flat out, you know, crazy, stupid, funny, they had a personality, and, you know, and Tom Joyner back then would fly from Dallas to Chicago, he would, he would start, you know, you know, and he, that's why he got the nickname the Fly Jock, because he would fly between the cities, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. That doesn't happen. You know, obviously, now you can you can kind of do what we're doing right now, talking to Mike and do you know do this and play music, and there you go. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's something about like like yeah, like Tom. Even though he was by the time I was listening to him, he was national, but still he was. It was like it was something you were connected to him. You like you knew the jingle. Oh oh yeah. oh. Yeah. <laughs> or like the or in Chicago with the Bad Boys, like especially yeah. like you knew like yo, it's the birthday yeah. line. It's all that yeah. other stuff. <laughs> But it is nothing like that. There's no local connection. That's why I think what made radio great was the local connection. Like you felt yep. like this is my station in my city. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was I was blessed to work on Saturdays with Frankie J um, on Saturday, and also Gene Sparrow sometimes. Or Robin mm-hmm. Robin Roberts used to you know used to be on, and they would always make it personal and make it fun. And actually, you know, we we had we I I, I could be wrong. Don't quote me on this, but I believe we were the first ones to do the birthday song way back when. I don't want to take credit for it because it wasn't my thing. But Frankie J on Saturdays, we used to do the birthday line, and we had our own little thing to it. So, a little history there. <laughs> we, got, we got history lessons on podcasts as always. <laughs> All right, so after 2001, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Leave, you leave Kiss FM like what was next yeah. for Rico yeah that, that's when I became a full time youth director you know at, at a church and that kind of started my other career you know kind of what I'm you know what I'm doing now um, and I haven't really looked back to be honest with you I mean I was working part time up until that point and then it just got to the point where you know radio just wasn't cutting it and I remember going into the radio station saying look you know I I've got a full-time job offer working at the church, you know, unless you all can, you know, can, can meet me somewhere near there. I just, I can't pass it up. You know, I need the money. I need the benefits. And, 
you know, they couldn't promise me anything. And so I left. And so just haven't looked back. So I started working with youth back in actually 96, uh, part-time and then didn't really kick it full-time until, you know, 2001. Okay. So like, how did you like, like switching from like being radio and doing full-time youth work? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it came down, it, it was interesting. There was, there was a girl who was in our, in my, in my junior high program because she was part of like the, this team to, you know, trying to interview different, different candidates and none of the candidates were hitting home with her or with me or anything like that. And then she flat out said, you know, could you see yourself, you know, not being a part of our lives full time. And since I had already developed a relationship with a lot of those kids, I was like, you know, this is something that I really need to do. Like it was, it's inside me, you know, it's like when I look back at, you know, on my mom's side of the family, I think there's like three or four generations that work with youth in some capacity, whether it's, you know, social work, whether it's teacher, whether it's, you know, lunch room, you know, person or whatever the case may be babysitting. It's just in my blood to work, to work with youth, you know, um, and I didn't find out until later on. It's like I was fooling myself trying to do radio. You know, it was like, um, but, you know, there's still, you know, that's still something, you know, there, there's still something about music that still, you know, helps me along. But, I mean, again, like that transition was pretty pretty seamless, to be honest with you. It just, like I said, just a lot of that stuff became natural because, you know, I had it. Uh, I just uh, like, you know, I, maybe part of it was because I'm not really mature for my age. Like I still <laughs> feel like I act a certain age. Uh, but I'm able to relate to these kids, you know, and it's, it, it's nice, you know. But it wasn't, it was a really easy transition. It wasn't very difficult at all, especially because we would do a lot of fun stuff, go on retreats, do trips and things like that. You know, um, that to me is just fun. Like I, I kind of viewed it as, the way I view it was, if I was a kid, how would I want my youth director to be? And that's how, that's how I treated it. So how, how long were you youth director at the church? For 11 years. Ooh. So 11 years. Yeah. So started, like I said, in 96 um, you know, and then left, you know, 2000, 2007. And then that kind of started my career into being a social worker and kind of, um, you know, looking at, you know, social work kind of being almost a career, you know, starting to be a career for me. Um, yeah, but that was, yeah, for 11 years, um, did that. Right, so this transition, okay, being a social worker, what made you want to go, like, that was the field you were going to go in? You know, again, it was just, you know, working with youth and I, and I felt like that was something that I could make a career out of. And so when I was working in, in Glenview, in the Glenview Northbrook area, um, we got contracted through the local high school and I met uh, one of my mentors there who was a social worker there. And I just got to the point where I'm like, man, this guy, this guy was like a jack of all trades. This dude was a, a, a social worker. He, he could, he, he liked fixing antique cars and he played trumpet in a jazz band. And I'm like, oh. like, like, come on, man. Like this guy's got all that. And when, and, it, and he also did, if I remember correctly, court mandated anger management classes during the summer. So it was like, like, yo, this dude is just like, like a renaissance man, like just kind of doing a little bit of everything. And I remember going to his office one day, I was like, look, you know, I just want to pick your brain for a little bit. And he's like, what do you think about the possibility of me going back to school, becoming a social worker? And then he said this line to me that I, I'll, I'll never forget. He's like, well, if you did that, you could write your own ticket. He's like, what do you, I go, what do you mean? He's like, well, think about it. So how many Latinos do you think are in the social work field? And he said, Latinos, not Latinas. He said, Latinos. And I was like, I don't know very many. He's like, there you go. You know, so that's got my 
you know, got my, you know, brain going a little bit, but then, you know, thinking about going back to school, obviously, you, you know, this, like going back to school, what, you know, what kind of you know, pressures there are with that, you know, what, what's that going to look like? And for me, it was a 14 year gap between when I left undergrad, when I graduated undergrad to go back to grad school. Mm-hmm. So I had to think about that too. It's like, man, if I'm going to do this, I need to get a master's. I need to make this legit, you know? And that, that was the next question I had from him. Well, how do I make this happen? He said, well, you got to go back to school, get your master's. I'm like, I don't want to go back to school, you know? Um, but he's like, that, he was like, that's the only way it's going to work, you know? Um, and he was right. He was right because I've, you know, I've been blessed that I've not had to find a job. It, it, it doesn't take me long to find a job once I leave or, you know, uh, it just, it's one of those things where the doors kind of open up for me. And a lot of it's because of my experience. Yes. Uh, but again, it doesn't get anywhere without, you know, a master's degree as well. So, so do you, cause I know when I went to school, it was, I had like a, a long gap between being at, at an undergrad and then going yeah. back to get my master's. And mm-hmm. then, but I noticed like now, like, compared to like people in like my cohort, like a lot of things like that they, they still want to, they're still younger, so they still want to kind of go out and do yeah. stuff. I'm like, I'm in there done that. I'm good. I just, I'm yeah. trying to trail on the work. I'm like, yeah. I want to get out of here. I want to, I want to be here yeah. long. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny when I, when I was in grad school, I had, a, I had a lot more people want to ask me what it was like in the real world. They wanted to get my perspective on things. Like, you know, because once they realized that, you know, I had a whole nother career, before going to grad school, it was like, you know, what's it like? You know, because a lot of them were kind of, I don't want to say, that, I don't want to speak for them, but it felt like they were kind of scared to kind of go out in the real world, you know, because it's like, you know, just got done with undergrad and they're like, well, what can I do? Let me go to grad school. And then it's like another two years and then they want to travel and they want to do this. And I'm like, you know, it was crazy, you know, so they, they, they kind of, you know, I, I appreciated the experience that I had in grad school because, you know, I had a, there were only like a handful of us guys in the social work, you know, cohort. And so that we always, you know, made sure that we sat by each other, you know, in classes and things like that, or, you know, we went out to eat or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that 14 year gap was, it was crazy. I mean, this is, this is how wide of a gap it is. You ready for this? My senior year of college, I started typing my paper on one of those Macs, like with the floppy disk, you know, like that was the first time I actually used that to now fast forward 14 years. And I go to my first grad school class, pull out my notepad and pen. And everyone's pulling out their laptops. And it's like, <laughs> yo, I was like, I couldn't believe it. Cause I'm like, I go walking in, you know, got my backpack and I was, everyone's got their laptop. I'm like, Oh, I see. That's how they, that's how they do it now. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's like, I could, I could never do that. I, I, don't, I don't think I ever, in the two years I was, I was in grad, I don't think I ever brought my laptop to class to use because I know me, I would be on Facebook or trying to, you know, order, you know, order stuff online, whatever the case may be. I said, I need to focus because that's, that's just how I, how I operate. Uh, um, but it was crazy. Like, I remember my using the, the computer lab for the first time my senior year of college and undergrad and then fast forward, like I said, 14 years and now everyone's got one. You know, in class. So, yeah. all right. So, right now, what like, where do you see your yourself in like youth engagement? That's a great question. Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, next, yeah, the next ten years, this decade. Like, what are you going? What's the plan for this decade? You know, I you know I I've kind of kind of like the idea outside of going outside again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. After, yeah. Hopefully, it's somewhere. Yeah, but. Um, <laughs> I think for me, what would be a, a cool dream job would be a dean at a high school. 
Mm-hmm. And it could be alternative school, could be, you know, you know, credit recovery, one of those things. But I kind of like working in not so much public school, but like I said, like, uh, you know, alternative school, you know, credit recovery kind of program. Like for those kids who, you know, kind of just, you know, need a little extra boost and uh, a little bit smaller classroom size. But that's that to me uh, would, would kind of be ideal for me, to be honest with you. Thank you for that. Now it's time for the nitty gritty. Let's talk about the last dance. Oh, here we go. Here we go. First, initial thoughts that that we went through all 10 episodes. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I remember that time very well, obviously, because when they won their first title, I was, you know, uh, in college. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so I remember the 90s Bulls so well. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me... So the, the first thing that comes to my mind is I'm so thankful for that, you know, uh, because it just brought back some so many great memories um, uh, about not, not only just Mike, but how the city was. And to me, like to me, they were the first kind of super team, you mm-hmm. know, when you're talking about the last three people, you know, because when you have those three people, you know, Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, who arguably were the best at that position at that time. You, you couldn't top it, you know, and they were just, you know, they were like the Beatles, you know, wherever they went. And that's why I'm glad that they showed that. Um, a lot of behind the scenes stuff that I knew about, um, very few surprises, to be honest with you, because again, like I was in college, so I remember that, you know, very well. Um, but yeah, just, I thought it was just great. What I love more than anything, and I think you, you'll probably appreciate this too, was the songs that they picked to uh-huh. kind of go with each episode. Like literally, I was... We played that boy. cool Modi. I was like, ah, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I've been, I've been, you know, it's funny. I've been watching like a lot of, you know, uh, of these, you know, podcasts, you know, the after part, after shows, and they have the producer on there, and he was, he was really adamant about like making sure the songs fit perfectly. So that's that that the songs that were popular then, like you know, I ain't no joke. That was, you know, when when he played that in Jordan early years, like that was like perfect because that was the year that song came out, that, and and it just flowed so well. I mean, it was so good that I actually downloaded uh, the guy, the the uh, the Last Dance Spotify channel because all the songs on there were from it. And I'm just like, yo, man, that's all the stuff that I that I love. So, just everything about it, the way it was shot, um, you know, the content of it, um, the truth of it too, which. I love how, you know, when they were talking about the Pistons, like, okay, let, let's get one thing straight out, right out the gate. Isaiah Thomas should not be crying about anything that happened to him because he loved the fact that he was on the bad boys and he that the Pistons were doing their thing. So, but, yeah, no, I thought it was a great series. And maybe, and partly, I, I kind of feel like I'm sort of biased, you know, because I'm born and raised in Chicago and that was my squad, but... I don't know. Like, I talk to other people, and they say the same thing. So it's like, you know, but yeah. Yeah, because I think, I think with Isaiah is, like, you know, I respect what Isaiah does, you know, as far as, like, community work he does in Chicago. He, he comes back, he gives back. But you got to understand, there are consequences to your actions. That's, yep. that's what we exactly. teach you, right? There are consequences to your actions. Absolutely. They may not happen immediately, but there will be consequences. Like, yeah, you went in there, oh, you ruffled a lot of feathers. Yeah. But, and the other, yeah, and the other thing is, there were there were plenty of other guys who could have been on the dream team other than Isaiah. I would I wouldn't think Isaiah. You know, to me, there could have been a handful of other guys who could have been on there too. You know, I mean, uh, Joe Dumars had a had a he could have like you know what about me? I was 
I'm fine with MVP too. There, there, there were a couple guys. Mitch Richmond would have been a nice little, you know, two guard as well. Tim Hardaway, Tim Hardaway was decent. Yeah. You know, so there were, there were there were plenty of other guys who could have filled that role. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, and look, Isaiah is a great basketball player. There's no denying it. But at the end of the day, when you're talking dream team, when you look at what they put together, you know, how can you argue? You know, and people like you got to look at chemistry too. Like, yep. it was it wasn't just Jordan who didn't like you. Scotty yeah. didn't like you. Magic yeah. definitely didn't like you for what you said about when he retired. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, see, that, that was the other thing that I appreciated about the last dance is you know when they showed these other guys that were on the team, you know, they weren't they weren't all stars. They weren't superstars. You know, when you're talking about like you know the first the first repeat, you know, Horace Grant was it was was good. You know, but you know John Paxson, Bill Cartwright, eh, Stacy King, eh, Scott Williams. You know, it's like these guys who, you know, you you kind of know, but they weren't like, you know, superstars or even all-stars or for that matter. And even the second three-peat, same thing. You know, Judd Bushler, Bill Wennington, Luke Longley. Even Steve were, Kerr. He was a journeyman. Even Steve Kerr. That point. <laughs> yeah. You know, he bounced around a lot. You know, but I, what I loved about it is, is, to me, it showed how little talent – Michael had around him in sense of like all star potential, but when you put a team together, when you talk about chemistry, it worked well, you know. Mm-hmm. Especially when you had you know Rodman, you know Rodman said it, you know, he wasn't he he wasn't going to act a fool because Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan were right there, and the three of them when they were on, they were on, man. I mean, it's I don't think there was a better threesome in the NBA ever, you know, than those three. I mean, the, you know, the, the the old Celtic people will say, oh, you know, what about Bird, McHale, and and Parrish? Come on, man! Like those, those three guys were great, but we're talking like you couldn't put together three more perfect guys. Yeah. The thing was, like, I was such a big. It was like probably I was probably I knew about the first repeat, and I was like, I watched it with my family, but I wasn't actually. I didn't get in tune until really in tune with the Bulls until Michael's first retirement, mm. like that next year, because I was a I, yeah, yeah. I was a big Scottie Pippen fan. Sure, and I yeah. I, I, I even got a T-shirt. That's a it's a drawing of him ducking on Ewing, which is the greatest yeah. dunk in the history of oh, the yeah. NBA. <laughs> oh yeah, without question, especially during playoff time. Come on, man, there was no better dunk in the playoffs than that. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I feel I when, it made me appreciate Scotty and also feel bad for him because I now I know why he signed that bad contract because there's circumstances when you grow up. Yeah. Because there's a difference between I grew up city poor, he was country poor. That's a way <laughs> different poverty. <laughs> yeah, well, now, and that was the other thing that they hinted, that they brought up in the last dance that you know Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Cross were not guys to renegotiate anyone's contract. They never renegotiated Michael's contract. You know, they never renegotiated or any of the White Sox players for that matter. Once they signed that contract, they were just like, "You got to be bound by that contract." They weren't going to try to renegotiate for nothing, you know. And because Michael was making so much money off his endorsements, you know his. His Bulls contract probably paid, you know, gas for his, you know, <laughs> mini cars or whatever. You know, yeah. you know it's like, wasn't really necessary. And Dennis Rodman is—he lives the life that many of us couldn't afford to live, or we'd be dead. <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah, I tell you, man. yeah. It's like, man, like we we got a game tomorrow. Oh, okay, let me let me go let me go fight with Hulk Hogan. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because you know. 
that would not fly if, if 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 this was present day. If he was on the Bulls now doing it, that would not fly because social mm-hmm. media would be all over it. Yeah, they they would know they would know the minute he got on a private jet to leave, they would have been like, "Hey, Rodman's gone." You know, a lot of people didn't know he was gone until you know the next day, and it's like, "Wait!" And then they saw him on TV, and like, "Oh, oh here we go." You know, it's just like, but yeah, it was it was it was a great time. You know, great era, and you know, to me, it's. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see something like that again. You know, six titles in eight years. I, I, I don't see it. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Out of out of all like the, the championship teams, what was your what was your favorite team? Wow, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because I liked I liked the ninety the the ninety one ninety two team um, mm-hmm. because I felt like once they won the first one. They they just worked so well together. They were just like a like a fine oil machine, man. They they were just solid. And you know, B.J. Armstrong was just coming into his own. And you know, they had Craig Hodges was there, Cliff Levingston, just so many great you know different per- guys who knew their roles and, and played it very well. And then, but I can't you know that that ninety five ninety six team when they, when Robin's first year that was that was another fun. But I mean, obviously, it's easy to say because they won seventy two games. But they were fun to watch too. I mean, they were, you know, they were just solid. I mean, they just, I mean, come on, man. Like, how many games they win in a row? Like, 20 something games in a row or something like that. And, yeah. and they was, just. And every game was like, you knew, like, okay, it's going to be close for a while. Then they're going to run away with it. We're going to see Michael Scotty and Ron Harper with ice on their knees and Rodman trying to shoot threes and entertain the crowd. Yeah, I mean, literally, was like if 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 the, once the game got close, you knew Michael was going to sit on, you know, take you know right before that TV timeout, going there for he would sit down, they would rest him, you know, they wait two minutes into the fourth quarter, he come out, do his thing for three four minutes, he's done, the Bulls are up fifteen, ice the knees, game over, you know, and that's when you see like Bobby Hansen, you know, Judd Bushler, like all these guys coming in off the bench, like guys that you know wouldn't see the light of day. But that, that, that's hard to say because, you know, there was just so many great teams and so many great players uh, on those teams. And, but like I said, guys that knew their roles, and I think that's the that's the important piece. Where I don't really think you see that in the NBA today. Like guys just still want they want to do more. They want to score, and you know, like just know your role. If you got two scores on your team, just grab rebounds. Yeah, you know? that's, that's what I think. Phil, he even though he's like probably the greatest coach ever, he still doesn't get enough credit for just way he controls personalities. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, again, it's like, you know, the difference between being a coach and being like, you know, a manager, like it's, yeah, you're right. Those different personalities, when he, when the players are making more money than you, imagine you got to be the one to kind of get them all on the same page. It's, that's tough. That's tough to do. Those 90s bulls, 90s music, everything was just, just exciting time. Yep. I miss it. I miss yep. being outside. But I, I, got, <laughs> I got, I have my vinyl records. They, they'll take me back. <laughs> I, just, I just get uh, I just bought Heavy D and the Boys People Journey vinyl. So I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna nice! Bust that, bust that out. <laughs> Played it for yeah. a while, but Rico, I want to thank you for for coming on. My I'm pleasure. Gonna, I'm, gonna have, I'm gonna have you on again because we just gonna this one day we just just talk about music. Just yeah, talk about we can definitely talk about music. We can, but, we can definitely do that, man. Yeah. That, that that'd be fun. Man. I don't mind doing that at all, man. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah, so, but I always ended with, with uh, asking my guests three things. What's the last book you read, last movie you watched, and last song you listened to? Okay, so the last book I just read is called Once a King, Always a King. And it's based on 
uh, this guy who was born and raised in Chicago, who was a Latin king, and he's got two books. So the first book, I've got him right behind me. It's called My Bloody Life, and the other one's called Once a King, Always a King. Mm-hmm. Um, just talked about how tough it is that once you get in the game, how tough it is to get out and how to get your life back together. Um, so that would, that's the last book I read. The last song I played, because I was on Michael Jackson kick today, uh, was a little-known unknown song called Stranger in Moscow, and that was oh. all off his historia his uh, CD. So um, I always try to play like, you know, upbeat music in the beginning. And then when I'm done, kind of at, at, the, at the end of my work day, uh, I kind of just phase it out, you know, listen to, you know, listening to some slow jams. And then the last movie I saw, as, as funny as it's going to sound, because I, I, I did the whole, you know, May the Fourth Be With You, because that's the last time I actually remember watching a movie, it was the, you know, The Rise of Skywalker. So, oh, that's, okay. that, so that's, that's the last movie I've seen, because again, I've just been kind of, you know, watching a lot of, you know, series on Netflix and Hulu and things like that. But I think that I think that's the last movie I remember seeing, if I'm, I'm trying to think, that, that might be. Maybe that's just what's what's sticking on the back of my mind. I'm sure there was may, there may have been another movie in between. Actually, I do take that back. I want to say it was like Stand and Deliver. I think that was the last movie that I saw because um, I think that was after that was kind of after the May the Fourth thing. But um, you could you could you follow me on Facebook, so you you probably know you probably know you know more than more than more than anything. I will say though, I will say this though. I don't know if you saw the. Uh, Prince and the Revolution concert. Oh, I, oh, oh, I am a, I am a Prince baby, because nice. when because my mother tells me the story when she went into labor, she would not leave to go to the hospital because they because <laughs> on TV they were showing the kiss video, so she had to wait to the end of the video <laughs> then she went to the hospital. That's, <laughs> that's that's pretty funny. That, that's a great story, man. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And if you, yeah, you, you see it on Facebook. I like for my for her, for her birthday one year, I dressed as Prince. So yeah, yeah. You actually, yeah. you actually, you pulled it off, man. Yeah. I like, even had the curl and everything, yeah. man. So this is, I'm, I'm a huge Prince fan. He was amazing, and the fact he could do all that and he could not read one note of music. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I actually, I don't know, I don't know how much time you have. I don't know if we we've gone we past. Said, oh, I got, we, there's no time. <laughs> yeah, so, so so for me, I'll share the, I'll share my my first encounter with Prince because I, I just shared this with a with a friend of mine after watching that concert. So, a good friend of mine who I was growing up with had had his record. His sister liked Prince, and he put on this record, and he played this song. And I like I kept hearing the song. I said, "Man, it's a it's a pretty good song." And then when I read the lyrics, I was like, "Yo, so that's what this song's about?" And it's Little Red Corvette. Like Little oh. Red Corvette is the first my first Prince experience and I just, it just blew me away. I said, this dude is on another level. Like this dude is like, and I saw him in concert. I saw him when the, the, in the, I believe it was 2001 is a musicology tour. Um, then that blew me away. He did like a, I don't know, like maybe like a 15 minute version of Purple Rain at the end. And it just, you know, by far the, in my opinion, probably the greatest musician, artist, that's ever lived, but again, you know, yeah. having that, and that was that was that's what I would tell people. You don't go to a Prince concert; it's a Prince experience, and I yeah. think that that's <laughs> yeah. Because I when he I think was it was it twenty twelve twenty thirteen when he came to Chicago when he did like a three night tour, and I, I went two nights. And oh, the first night I went, 
and like we 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 everybody walking out and then he like he came back on stage and we all running back into the and then if but he threw us off because first he had like a doppelganger walk by then he just rolls <laughs> up and started doing he did like a, a 15 minute version of Little Red Corvette yeah I mean what, in the concert that I went to his stage was in the middle of the arena mm. and so he would walk in in the middle and, and so everyone was just around him and it was the first time I've ever been to a concert where the artist was in the middle of the arena and everyone was sitting around them I mean it just and his band's always tight like they they were some of the best musicians uh, you know even going back to the revolution like that mm. they were always tight and then you find out that they that's because he would practice with them like you know three hours before the show. So I mean, there you go. Yeah. And I, and I, I bought a box set for his uh, the vinyl for nineteen ninety nine. So it's like a, oh, okay. it's like like ten. It's like they got a whole bunch of stuff in it. But it has this uh, it has like his original. It has copies of his original notes for like some of the songs. Oh, wow. So like uh, the song "International Lover," he didn't write that for himself. He actually wrote that for Morris Day in the time at first. Cause and, and then and on, on, the, on the notes it's like it has half of the lyrics and then he has like next page punk says then it has what what more is it supposed to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, I think the history if this is correct they were both in the same band together that's how that's how they started yeah. they they were in the same band together yeah. and then they you know and, and Morris was a drummer he was yeah. he was a, he wasn't a singer because I remember I was watching it was something that Mike Judge does on Cinemax it's like. Uh, he has like old artists talk tell stories about being on the road. So yeah. he have Morris Day, and he and he animates it himself. <laughs> so it's like if you if you catch it, I'll I'll, I'll try to find I'll try to find a clip. Yeah, yeah. I'll post it on Facebook. You'll see it. Cool, but, cool, yeah. Because Morris yeah. Day was telling stories about uh, about being on the road, and it's like it's crazy. It was just crazy about how he was, he was a drummer, and then it was just like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis kept getting fired, and. Uh, uh, what's his name? Alexander O'Neill kept doing drugs, so it's like you gotta be least singer. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy time. Like you know, I, I know that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis got fired because they were producing for other artists. Yeah. So that's that's you know, um, but yeah, it's it's crazy, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's why the concert that they that they showed it was funny because that that tour was you know, Apollonia, yeah. and it was Sheila E. and Prince and the Revolution. It's like talk about like that would have been a classic you know concert to see. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So I think the last last concert I saw with Prince was probably 2013. I went to Vegas on my birthday, and he was at the uh, like the Hard Rock in yeah. Vegas. So it was just him and his, his all girl band at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another level, man. Another level, man. Yeah. You could you could put you know, you could put Michael Jordan and Prince on almost at the same level, but you know you know different you know. Yeah. But yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, man. So yeah. Uh, thank you, Rico. We're gonna, I'm gonna have you back because we gotta talk about music, man. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, man. Anytime, yeah. anytime. You pick, you pick the genre. Yeah. We got it, man. I got, I got all my CDs alphabetical order too. So yeah. just let and, me know. Man. And hopefully, one of these days, you know, since I'm, I'm, I'm at a point where I won't have to be in Bloomington too much. I can be back in Chicago, and hopefully, yeah. this coronavirus thing goes down. We can, we can do this in person, like, as a music player, because my, my recorder is portable, so. <laughs> no yeah. worries, man. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Yeah, I'm man. just a uh, phone call, text message, email away. Yeah, so thank you again. It. And to all my listeners, you can catch some for the people on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and one of these days, 
uh, iHeartMedia will stop hating on me and let me be on their platform. <laughs> so, as always, please be good, drink your water, and wash your damn hands. <laughs>